Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Empire. Play Fantasy Baseball Show with D. Mindy. Little Cheesecake and Doc starts now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome in to another episode of the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show. We are now a proud member of Empire Media and the Empire Media Podcast Network. D. Mindy here, joined by someone who I like to have on the show today, tomorrow, the weekend, or next week. It's Eric Mendelson, aka the Doc. What's going on? Oh, I'm I'm just glad that I can make it into your availability. We won't we won't talk about who that is. I was gonna say, I hope you get the joke. Oh, of course. <laughs> so inside, not too many inside jokes that many people don't know about. But Eric and I have had many a laughs over that intro uh, from somebody that we both uh, just talk about. So it's it's very funny. But uh, but Doc, I got to ask you. Here's this question for you. What can you do today that you weren't able to do a year ago? Uh, ref a kickball game. You weren't able to do that a year ago? Oh, because yeah, we're, we're, we're in a pandemic. Oh, I thought you were going to be more like diplomatic with your answer. Like there was like, oh, well, I learned the angles of this kick and I can read how people are uh, are running and, or something like that. I learned more about the stock market. There's a more oh, diplomatic there we go. answer. That's, a, that's an answer I like to hear. All right, well... Not only are you going to talk stock markets today, we're talking about our 2021 hits and misses. As we fast approach the all-star break, we are beginning to get an early sense on our smashes or our passes. For those that follow me on Twitter, you know I like using that phrase to talk about my food, but we're talking about those for baseball players, who we felt strongly about going into the baseball season and who we were kind of avoiding. With 70 games in the books, it's kind of nearly half the season gone by here. It's time to reflect where we can take our victory laps and where we may, may need to make some humble apologies. And we're going to be doing that with one of the best high-stakes players in the game in Miss Jenny Butler. So make sure you stay tuned for that. After we go to our bullpen for our question of the week, who do you think is the best cook or chef in Major League Baseball? And our game of the week coming in to shut the door. So if you guys are ready to get another episode started, then man, we should do it for you. Let's do it! Yeah! You gave me a you gave me a stank face, bro. Yeah, it's the let's do it. You're old. So there's a lot of news. We're going to run through this here. Major League Baseball's announcement of imminent plans to crack down on pitchers' use of foreign substances has taken over the baseball landscape, and it's gotten even more talked about as race Rays ace Tyler Glass now suffered a partial UCL tear. During his most recent start, he's most likely going to be out for the rest of the season. He was put on the 60-day IL. They're hoping he can come back at the end of the year, but he was very vocal about 
the all of a sudden removing any type of substance you can use, uh, specifically the sunscreen rosin combination that had been the the glue, uh, basically that pitchers had been using. And uh, hitters didn't seem like they had a huge problem with it. With that being cut off, pitchers having to grip the ball tighter. And obviously that wrecking with their, their forearm, their elbow and causing a lot of these problems, doc, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on this whole thing. Obviously you have the spin rates going down for a lot of different guys. You have many pitchers complaining and, and right now they're doing a 10 game suspension with pay for anybody that's caught. And that's because that was the rule already implemented in place for anybody that's asking why that they're, they're giving pay for the pitchers. Um, so I'm curious to hear your thought on this whole scandal that's taken over baseball. I mean, Rob Manfred has a blunder once again. Like, it's crazy because you and I play in a home league and we have two IL spots and there was a movement to have a third spot with all the injuries. And the argument against it was, hey, you don't implement rules mid-season. And I think a lot of people were like, yeah, this will take effect next season. This is for, that was for fantasy. Keep in mind, this is in the middle of the actual season. This is routines that players have done for years. Tyler Glass and I was talking about, especially when it's windy, how hard it is to grip the ball. And you're already doing an unnatural motion, pitching the ball, throwing it forward. Without the stuff that to help grip it better, you're digging your, you know, he, he, he said before I was, you know, I felt the fatigue. I was sore in places I never had been before. I understand cracking down on, you know, the spider tack and things that can increase the spin rate, but let's not act like hitters don't cheat as well. And it's just crazy that for the Astros cheating, and I, I know I bring this up all the time, but there wasn't a precedent set for that at all. Instances to help a grip, you're going to get suspended 10 games for that. I just don't understand it. I don't understand the reasoning. I don't think they met with any pitchers at all. It's a very reactive move. And it just sucks because somebody like Tyler Glass now, that really hurts the Rays' chances to win the division or to compete even further. Yeah, it sucks for the Rays, and it's. I think it's going to be the effect across Major League Baseball. The hits batsmen hit batsmen are already at a uh, MLB high right now. the The rate is it's happening. It's going to happen even more so. Lead to more injuries. Uh, baseball is just a mess right now. This does not contribute well to what is going on. It's us having us talk about something that's not baseball, and with all the young, exciting talent in the game, it's unfortunate. Uh, but we'll leave it at that. Mets ace Jacob DeGrom left his start yesterday after three innings due to right shoulder soreness. I was playing against him in a couple of weeks, so um, definitely could have been a lot worse if you were playing against him. He had three innings and eight strikeouts, so he was just mowing down the Cubs lineup. But it's his second consecutive start in which he was forced out prematurely. Right flexor tendonitis knocked him out of his start last Friday. DeGrom didn't sound too concerned about the outing, and the MRI came back clean. So right now, I think it's just frustrating with DeGrom, but right now it's not any serious injury. You do have to wonder, though, if this is going to build up, uh, even though the injuries weren't related. If At some point, he's going to go on the IL just to make sure everything heals up that's been coming up here. But speaking of IL, there's plenty more news coming with that. Alex Bregman was placed on the 10-day IL, and Dusty Baker said he will be out, quote, for a while. A more specific timeline should hopefully become clear tomorrow. Uh, but he had been playing not quite as his 18-19 MLB caliber level as he was hitting 275 through 59, 428 slash, 121 WRC plus with seven homers over his first 262 plate appearances. So the Astros will be feeling that in their lineup. 
Some activations off the IL. You have Zach Gowan starting tonight against San Francisco in his first MLB action in six weeks. The Rangers announced they're activating reliever Ian Kennedy from the injured list, and he gave up one run in his first game of action yesterday. And Ramon Laureano was also activated as well. So good news if you were thin in your outfield. But back to the bad news, the Dodgers placed center fielder Cody Bellinger on the IL for, IL for left hamstring tightness. Been a frustrating year for Cody Bellinger as he continues to just go on and off the IL and is not giving you anywhere near the value that you drafted him for. A little earlier this week, or, or I guess end of last week as well, the Indians placed a Shane Bieber on the 10-day IL due to right shoulder subscapularis muscle strain. Nice reading, David, per a club announcement. Been a strong season for Bieber, although not quite the dominant Cy Young winning season we saw last year. He does lead baseball with 90 and two-thirds innings pitch, and he's worked to a 328 ERA and a 33.9% strikeout rate that ranked seventh in the majors at the time he went down. Doc, real quick, how long do you think he's out for? A month. Yeah, I heard people talk about that he'd be back after the All-Star break, so we'll see what happens there. Twins announced they placed right-hander Michael Pineda, right elbow inflammation, infielder, outfielder Rob Snyder, hamstring strain on the 10-day IL. They activated Kenta Maeda and Luis Arise from the injured list. Maeda looked pretty decent in his first start. Four innings, seven strikeouts, two earned runs. He's expected to go against Texas this weekend. Buxton has not yet been activated, and he is still looks like he's a little way away from returning here. Matthew Boyd was placed on the 10-day IL with left arm discomfort. Um, so more updates should come later on in the IL placement here. Andrew Benatendi was placed on the IL with a right rib injury, and the Dodgers placed infielder Max Muncy on the 10-day IL with a right oblique strain, and we hate seeing those oblique strains. Those are tricky. So another week, another novel of injuries to read to you guys, but we want to make sure you guys are up to date for if you guys listen to us for these these updates uh, as far as how your team's going to look and the injuries that are going to affect your team here. But if you enjoy hearing Doc talk where there's a TV playing and you don't like hearing the injuries, but you enjoy hearing me read injuries, make sure you never miss a show by clicking that subscribe button wherever you find your podcast. And if you want to hear more triple play, great news for you. We have a fantasy football and a basketball show you can check out available anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the content, have a hooking us up with a five-star rating and review to support the boys. Check us out on all your social media at Trip Play Fantasy. Our website, tripplayfantasy.com. You'll see Doc tweet about things, of course, you don't care about. Gets interaction somehow. That Tal tweet it was like your most popular tweet in a while. I don't know how that was the one that got the traction, but it did. You'll see, of course, if you go to the website, tons of articles, videos, podcasts. And on the YouTube channel, that is very important to us. You see our movie minutes. You can check out some fantasy foodies. Field Yates was on the most recent one a few weeks ago. You can check out our interviews. All of them are posted there if you'd like to see us talk with the guys live. Uh, Bet Matt Garza was on a few weeks ago with me, and that was a fun interview. So if you enjoy all that stuff and you want to see it happening, check out the YouTube page as well. And remember, if you're looking for a podcast that offers you the full coverage, and I'm looking at you, Fox and CNN, then look no further than this podcast right here because I'm telling you, it just might change your life. And if you are listening to the podcast version uh, we are going to take a quick break and we're going to jump right into hits and misses with Jenny Butler right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Triple Play Fantasy Baseball coming at you live tonight. Loud and proud. We got a big show planned. I'm here, of course, joined by my co-host, the Doc, Eric Mendelson. What's going on? Not much. Waiting for you to say something bad about me. No, that's for the the intro intro that we do pre-recorded. So don't worry. Uh, okay. I'll be nice to you now. Uh, that's Yay. fine. But, <laughs> but we're welcoming in someone special. So I got to introduce her the proper way. We welcome in a woman that is a fan of the three C's. That's cooking, crime, and everything Columbus, Ohio. Speaking of Columbus. She must love the big flies as the Reds order provides so very many of them. She's an NFBC vet, lady of line drives, woman of walk-off home runs, and the Grand Slam gal. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. It's Jenny Butler. What's going on? Wow, that was so impressive. I was wondering if you are going to have anything to say about me, but you did it pretty good. <laughs> I like it. I'm good. How he's are a, you guys? He's, he's a stalker. You'll find I out. Know. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, we're pumped to have you on. Uh, I talked a little bit pre-recording. You do really well in fantasy baseball. You're an avid NFBC player, and uh, you know your stuff. So I feel like it's always good to have someone like you on the show because the doc is kind of uh, – he needs the, the the book for dummies. He doesn't understand kind of how this works. So I figured one of the best people in the game can help educate him tonight. Uh, but I'm curious before we kind of dive into everything we're going to talk about, can you tell us your journey and how you got started with everything? Sure. So, so I've been a baseball fan my whole life. Like my parents told me when I was a little kid, instead of putting me in the front of the TV with cartoons on, they would put me in front of a baseball game and I would just watch it. And um, so I grew up loving baseball. I listened to the Reds on the radio every night during the summer. And I got into fantasy um, in 2000. Fantasy, ba- I played a little bit of fantasy football first and just actually a little bit of fantasy basketball. But um I got into fantasy baseball in probably 2005 range, I'm going to guess, in my home league. And I love my home league. I've got really into it. And I just kind of wanted to branch out and like see how I stood up against everybody else. And so when I heard about the NFBC and it just, it, I sparked my interest. So I wanted to get into it. And I played a, a, an online championship, I think, and a little bit of cut line at first. And then starting in 2017, I flew out to Vegas and started playing in the main event. So the uh, the main event, I drafted the first time live in Vegas, which, in my opinion, is the only way to do it. So I will always, always go to a live draft whenever I can. It's so much better than an online draft. But yeah, so I've been playing NFPC main event since 2017 and just kind of started dabbling in Twitter a little bit and just kind of replying to people and people started to gradually sort of, I guess, realize who I am, I think, which is still a weird, um, but yeah, I, I like what I do. It's my main hobby. It's quite a fun hobby. It's a time consuming hobby, fantasy baseball. There's no sleep, no rest. <laughs> um, but I'm curious though, cause we, this was kind of, they had a, the, they didn't have it last year, obviously, but they did have it. Did you go to the one this year? Yeah, I was in Vegas this year. I did two main events and I did an auction in Vegas. Oh, which, oh my God. Speaking I my almost, language. I, I have it. My, so my home league is an auction 
but I hadn't played in any NFBC auctions because I really, really, I say I don't want to do online drafts, but I really, really don't want to do online auctions. I don't like them. I don't, I don't want to do them because that button with the plus one, I don't want any part of that. So I, uh, but I had the opportunity to do, uh, had the opportunity to do, uh, the auction in Vegas, which I nearly overslept for, which was awesome. I thought it was at 4 p.m. Turns out it was at 10 a.m. And I realized it while I was laying in bed in Vegas at 8.30 in the morning and just like way far away from the Bellagio. So it was a mad dash to get there, but I made it. And I, I aspire to be you, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. Uh, it, it, the only way I feel like, especially females, I feel like can get into this really seriously is if you don't have kids. It's just like I... I Danielle Salinger is a goddess. I don't know how mm-hmm. she does it. I don't know. She puts up with Justin. She's got kids. <laughs> do what she's getting into it. Like I love it. But I just found out she's eight years older than him. Really? Yeah. They put it. They put it out today. Wow. He he put out a. She put out a tweet like I can't believe we met. It was like something like um, twenty seven years ago today was the OJ Bronco chase, and she's like, oh, I can't believe it was twenty seven years old. I was a high school senior. And uh, he was like, yeah, I can't believe I was graduating the third grade. And she's like, this is why we don't have sex. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, God, I love her so much. I love her so much. And I'm here for all the Yancey bullying of Doc that he does every few streams. It's okay. Uh, I'm not looking at my phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely great. But Jenny, your success, obviously, we're hoping uh, you can help our listeners with some problems. Right now, we're kind of at a weird time. We're at like that 40% mark of the season. So... We have enough data to kind of assess, all right, at least we can kind of tell who seems like they're breaking out, who seems like they've been kind of washed for this year. For the most part, obviously, there's still a little bit more than half the season to go, but we got to talk about our 2021 hits and misses as we are to this point. And Shohei Otani's on the cover for a reason, for, at least he's for me, uh, but we're obviously there's going to be a lot of players we're going to discuss here. But again, there's the smashes you've made, the passes that you made at the time that you felt strongly about passing on going into the season. Have they come back to bite you? Uh, have you been right to stray away? I think we're at that 70 game mark. So uh, let's reflect and let's see where we can take our victory laps and maybe offer some humble apologies. So let's start out. Let's be positive first. Jenny, who's your first hit that you were like, I'm going to drive a lot of this player and it's been looking great so far. So I think that for me, I, my general strategy is that I don't have a lot of like my guys, like mm-hmm. I don't draft the same guy over and over and over again. I mean, part of it is that, you know, it's just a spreading of the risk, mm-hmm. but also like I draft very much based on team need at like trying to roster construction, you know? So I draft, I think of guys, I don't really do the bab system per se, but I, I draft sort of that mindset. So a guy to me is more of, you know, what, what stat categories he can provide and things like that more other than like, I love this one guy this year and I'm going to draft him on every team. So I kind of started to look at, you know, who I have on the most teams. A lot of times those are very late round guys when you're Mm -hmm. kind of picking and choosing, but you know, for me, like one of, you know, if you just want to talk sort of strategy, I did a lot of uh, pocket aces Mm-hmm. And it's something that I actually was doing when I first started playing the main event. And now, you know, that it's got the fancy name and everything, it's it's become a thing. But um, I think it's worked pretty well. I mean, I it's obviously lately there's they've just been dropping like flies, all the aces. But um, 
you know, I think that's part of the reason to get two. You know, because mm-hmm. you if you lose one, you've still got one left. You're not just completely screwed. So, you know, there was a team on TGFBI. I drafted uh, Castillo. I think it's the only team I have Castillo on, but mm-hmm. I drafted Cole, Garrett Cole in the first round and Castillo in the second. So, you know, it, it balances that out, especially because I played Castillo for way, way too many starts. <laughs> I should have had him on the bench a lot more than I have. <laughs> but, you know, and I there's. I have a lot of Nola who's kind of middling and I have Giolito who's kind of there, but if you have two of them, it just, it goes a long way. So, um, you know, I think one of the guys I targeted a lot and I actually um, kind of saved him for the main event because I don't like to draft a guy on a ton of my teams, but I saved Brandon Woodruff for the main event. And um, oh. I think that that was a good one to get. I, I'm pretty happy with him. I know that there are some innings concerns as we get later in the season, but I'm hoping that, you know, since they're in contention, um, it'll they'll still pitch him, you know, as much as they need to. Yeah, I mean, I actually put out a tweet today about Brandon Woodruff. He, I think to this point, what he has like a, I'm pulling it up now. He has a, it, it's like a 151 ERA. He has a 30, oh, here we go. He has a 152 ERA, 31.5% K percentage. Uh, eight, and he's got a career low walk percentage right now. That curveball seems like it's been a big part of his arsenal this year. He's doubled the usage of it. And uh, I've seen people talk about the, the he's got the elite vertical movement and actually has the most Ks of any pitch he's thrown this season. He just looks completely nasty because people were talking about him being the the Matt Harvey, right? The the one pitch pitcher that eventually when that velocity goes down and that fastball doesn't, doesn't have as much movement and velocity anymore, he's going to fall into that same boat. He's looking like he's rewriting that narrative right now. Yeah, yeah. I've really, it's, he's really been great. And, you know, you never know. I mean, pitchers can, like I said, can just drop at any moment. But yeah, having, having him has been pretty nice. And in my first main event in Vegas, I drafted uh, Trey Turner and then him. So, wow. Good start. Yeah, that's turned out pretty well so far, especially because, you know, there are barely any first round hitters that have been usable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Doc, what about you? Who's somebody that you drafted a lot of this year that you're happy you drafted? Uh, that's Nolan Arenado. He was getting dinged a lot. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's leaving cores. People don't realize that he had a lingering shoulder injury. Before that, he had only had one IL stint. I think he went to a better lineup with the Cardinals. He's on pace for 30 home runs, 98 RBIs, hitting 273. Look, he's not that first to second round block anymore. But he, I got him in the fourth round of my TGFBI. He has the highest launch angle of his career. His barrel and hard hit percentage are back to his twenty or his pre twenty twenty form. He's what Bubba calls a steady Eddie, and I love building those in the early rounds. Yeah, no, I, I mean he's someone that you can plug in, and he gets the job done. I like the call. Now, Jenny, I'm curious: Are there any people that you really liked that just because of your draft position? And I know Yancey coins this, and it is true that. As long as it's somebody ranked outside the first 12, you have a shot at anybody. But my first guy that I was really big on, I I thought this was the breakout year of Vlad. And I know there's the two camps. There was the ones that were like, oh, I'm not drafting him at his cost. I need to see it. And then there were the ones like myself that I was like, this is the year. And I wrote an article for Fantrax in the last offseason to talk about how people were talking about how the weight loss, they're like, I need to see it with the weight loss. But the fact was, (laughs) <laughs> he's heard this feel a bunch. Uh, the fact was he lost the weight. Throughout. We can turn this into a drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> he lost the weight throughout the season. 
because they're the first 21 games. He hit 222, four doubles, three homers, and then the last 39 contests that went up to 286, nine doubles, two triples, six home runs. So you kind of already saw that more athletic-looking version as the season went on, got that power and bat speed that he was getting from losing the weight, and he was also changing his batting stance to swing path, play coverage, and overall athleticism with it. So I was very much in on him, but I was Jenny, I was going to ask you, I I did 10 leagues this year. I don't know how many you're, I'm assuming you're probably in more than I am. 18. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so in eight out of my 10 leagues, I had the tel- either the 10th, 11th or 12th pick. That's just how it ended up coming out. So I never, I was only able to get him in two of my leagues because I wasn't taking him, you know, at the first or the second turn. I was hoping he would fall back to me in the third and in many of the drafts he didn't. So I don't have him as much as I would like. Is that has there been players like that for you just because your draft position that you don't get as much of it as you want? Yeah, I had my eye on Whit Merrifield a lot, and I oh, I did not. I both going. main events. Dusty Wagner took Dusty Wagner's in both my Vegas main events, and he took him right in front of me both times, and on the way back down in the third round, and I was disappointed. Oh, same. So, yeah. So the uh, the auction that I did in Vegas was the last draft I did, and I was like, God damn it, I'm getting. I'm getting with Maryfield. I don't care what it takes. And I did. I paid for him. So hopefully it all works out. He's looking, you know, it's the average is coming up. So I'm not worried. So then who is somebody else, another person that you were kind of had a lot of belief in that whether you have a lot of them or not, again, we talk about draft positions sometimes plays a factor, but who's someone you believed in that you feel like has, has produced so far to what you expected? Yeah. So the other, you know, sort of, I guess, category of guys that have kind of worked out for me are late round outfielders. And mm-hmm. so I lot I've heard a lot of people say that they're having a lot of problems with outfield, filling their outfield spots, especially in, you know, the five outfielder leagues. And I haven't had that so much. So I think I must have done a pretty good job with choosing them. I have a ton of Randall Gretchik who's, you know, slowed down, but he's very streaky. So I'm sure he'll have another hot streak. I have a lot of Mark Canna. I have a lot of Hunter Renfro, Cedric Mullins, guys like that. So I kind of like to, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's most, that's most of the fantasy content that I consume is via podcast. And I just kind of try to take little snippets from people that I, you know, you you can, you can overwhelm yourself with Mm -hmm. too many differing opinions, but I try to sort of, and I think it's something that I think I'm fairly good at that I can sort of listen to everybody's opinion and sort of pick and choose what I like from it. And so, you know, you know, you hear Justin Mason talk about Cedric Mullins. You're like, no, I I like that. That sounds pretty good. You know, and you look into him a little more and you're like, yeah, that's, that's good. You know? So I, I did pretty well with the late round outfielders, but I think especially Kana and Gritchick, I'm, I'm real happy that I have. Yeah. They both have been great. And it's interesting you bring up Gritchick too, because he's someone people were fading because they thought he wasn't going to get the playing time. He was the one that was the, the odd one out. And I think, we're all learning with the amount of injuries we've had this season that you got you got to draft the people you believe in based on their talent because injuries are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get their shot if they're good. And yeah. I think that's yeah, easy you, example. It's so easy to say that in retrospect, you know. But then you know you're you're in March and you're just looking at it and thinking he's got nowhere to play. Like when are they going to play him? They're not going to play him, you know. But it's it's so much easier to do at the end of the draft, you know, because you can just take your shot and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you know, it's. It, it was hard. It was, it was doubtful. I was doubtful when I drafted him, but I've drafted him for years now and I love him. So I just thought, you know, screw it. I'm just going to take him and hope it works out. And if it doesn't, then it'll be unfortunate. But yeah, I, 
I, I try, I try very hard to lean on skill over role, but it's, it's really hard to do. It definitely is. And, um, I'm wondering next year if the injuries will be like this too, because we might go into next off season being like, if it's anywhere near what it is right now, then we're not going to, it'll be fresh in our minds and maybe that will make it so we draft differently. Like, like uh, Jack Drax and Profar is someone else that comes to mind. I feel like people were fading for that same reason. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I, I have him on any teams. Yeah, I don't think I do either. But the, the whole Padre situation, Cronenworth, maybe even be a better example of someone on that team. I drafted Cronenworth a lot in the start of draft season. I was loving it. And then when I got nervous, I got cold feet when it started to seem like he wasn't going to get to play enough. And then I got back in at the end because I love love a multi-position guy so mm-hmm. i i will always choose a multi-position guy whenever i can that's a very good point uh doc who's another person that uh you were strong and on in or in on here well you know it's funny is i am a grand old Grichik hater and i'm eating my words this year i mean Jen, <laughs> jenny jenny took it for me it's cedric mullins i took him as a late round pick because of the stolen base outside he had seven in 48 games um, but I also look at the the growth he had from 2019, where he hit 094 to 271 in 2020. Um, I figured the offense would improve with a healthy Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini coming back. And you just look and everything has increased. His walk percentage from 5.2 to 10%. His K percentage has gone down from 24.2 to 18.2. Barrel percentage, hard hit percentage going up. I mean, he had an everyday role last year playing 48 out of 60 games and the majority of when uh, Santander got hurt. So he was somebody that I took late and has really paid dividends. Yeah. And I think was one of the things we talked about, just making sure you listen to people talk and, and kind of keep in the news because he stopped switch hitting and he went strictly left-handed and you looked at his splits when he was batting left-handed and he was already successful with it. So when you saw he eliminated it. That kind of credit to Justin, who I know is, I think, the the Cedric Mullins guy in the industry. And as you mentioned, Jenny, for for identifying that and calling that because that those those small things, sometimes you getting him at that value can pay huge dividends. So, yeah. Doc, I didn't know you were a Cedric Mullins guy. This is the first I'm hearing of it. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I'm going to bring up a guy and he said, I won't say he's lit the the world on fire here but he definitely i think has been better than most people gave him credit for and that's adbert alzale who i picked as one of the pitchers i thought was going to take a step forward this year and just kind of digging into his profile uh, at the end of last year he had always had high strikeouts in the minors but when he kind of unveiled that slider as his go-to pitch the last two starts of the of the last season he was averaging 12 k's over those starts and it was 203 pitches he had used the slider from 2019 to 2020. And he only allowed three hits between those 203 pitches on that slider. So the fact that he basically started featuring that down the stretch, I kind of figured he could be like a Denelson Lamette light, which is kind of what he's been uh, a peak Denelson Lamette, obviously. But, um, you know, he's again, not somebody that's lighting the world on fire, but he pretty much was going at the very end of drafts or undrafted. So he was giving you a lot of value for where you were getting him. Yeah, uh, I, I'm in uh, two uh, two of the three Vegas drafts I did had John Pausma in them, which like, I'm just I have no hope. Like he's he's so good, and he gets everybody. But I saw him get Alzale on both of the teams that I'm in the league that I'm with them, and I just thought, damn, that was a good <laughs> good pitch. <laughs> I hate those people. You're like, gosh, like, like I, I, I have them on my queue. I wasn't ready to take them yet. And they're, I know. they go late round pitchers. I felt like were really hard to judge when they were going to go. 
you know, Rob DiPietro and I are in that tag team league together. Mm-hmm. And we better be careful not to give away the secrets he was saying. No, but uh, <laughs> we were during the draft, we had, you know, some late round pitching targets and they just started going. And it was the first draft that either of us did that was like a fab league. So only 30 rounds as opposed to, you know, a draft champions or a best ball, something like that. So when in those 30 rounds, the late round pitchers went more like in the, you know, 17, 18 range than in the 22, 23 round range. And we started to just see those guys go off the board so fast. All the guys that you have your little star next to on your list, you know, and Alzale is one of those types for sure. Yeah, I think again, and he's starting to bump up towards the end of draft season too. I think mm-hmm. people are starting to catch on when you look at the, the ADPs, uh, as we do every off season, you, you pick a new month and you start looking at the guys that are rising. He was one of them for sure. Uh, let's bookmark this and let's talk about our last person that you were in on or the last type of way you were drafting to find these, these players you were trying to capitalize on Jenny. Who's that for you? Yeah. So the other sort of category that I was thinking about is I'm, I'm usually really big on uh post hype young guys, you know, maybe not rookies necessarily, but guys in their, you know, second, third, fourth year that everybody's kind of given up on or that, you know, people get very emotional about a guy who's burned them. So, you know, if you get burned, you don't want to take that guy again. And I like to take those guys. Um, So I I have a lot of Austin Riley. I think that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, people that spent a lot of fab on him during Fabapalooza got burned pretty bad. He was he was the win of the Fabapalooza for, you know, two, three weeks, and then it fell off. So people were angry. And I, I really thought that, you know, he could pull it out this year and really start hitting some home runs. And that lineup is so good. And, you know, he's going to have a – I felt like he had a pretty safe uh, hold on the job. So I really liked him, and, and I got a good amount of him on my teams. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, – I think that his K percentage has gone down so much. And he's still giving you the power. He's giving you some average. That was a great pick. And I only have him on like one or two of my teams. And it wasn't definitely wasn't a target. I think that's a great, great way to, to call out the begin the young talent that I think you even mentioned before, you know, once they've been in the league a couple of years and you're like, they're still young, they've had the experience. So now they can maybe put it together this year. It's a great call with Austin yeah. Riley. Profar would have fit into that too. And I don't have him anywhere. I missed out on him, but that would have, he's another one in that category, I think. Yeah, those great calls on those. Doc, give us your last guy here. It's the pitcher that I say is the most underrated in the game that I get in every league because people don't respect him. Wait, who? That's I'm Chris Bassett. Who? Oh, yeah. Chris oh, Bassett. Yes, I Chris Bassett. Bassett. <laughs> round, round 11 in the NFBC. He has a sub-4 ERA the last four years. He had a 2.29 ERA in 2020. Finished fourth in Cy Young voting in 2019. Eight out of his 14 starts this year are quality starts. Three of them are missing by 0.1 innings because he went 5.2. He's just such a reliable guy that I don't think anybody really talks about. Maybe it's because he plays for the A's. Maybe it's because he's not flashy. I take him every day and twice on Sunday. Definitely. (laughs) I take him a lot. And then I heard Scott Jenstad not be on him and it scared the crap out of me because not only is Scott Jones said like a great player but he's an A's mm-hmm. fan and I thought oh god what is there does he know something that I don't know but I just kind of stuck to my guns and kept drafting him and yeah I have a lot I have him in a lot of the only thing I worry about Bassett is every time he throws the ball it looks like his arm is going to p- fall off like it literally looks like he puts everything he can into his pitching delivery yeah, he doesn't I don't th- want to hear that not right now I don't want to hear about Max <laughs> Effort. 
Okay. <laughs> he does seem like he's a, a safe guy for the most part. Like he's, he hasn't, as far as, I mean, maybe I'm forgetting. He doesn't have a big injury track record, does he? Not that I can remember. Uh, I'm going to knock on wood so I don't jinx I anything. I have terrible memory though, so <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. The last guy I'm going to bring up here, Doc, you can go ahead and, mute, and pretend I'm muted so you don't have to listen, is the guy that I stuck my name to this whole entire offseason more than any other player. Vlad was number two, but Dylan Cease was the, the guy. Oh, my gosh. I'm muting myself. Yeah, he, he was the guy that I stuck my name And there were a few others out there that also mm-hmm. felt like this breakout was coming. And the reason I thought the breakout was coming was because of just studying the torque, the, the fact that he was working on the torque, and there's no doubting the stuff. I mean, he had a high 90s fastball. He had great breaking stuff, but he couldn't locate. So the fact that he worked with the core velocity belt to fix the early trunk rotation he was experiencing and this helping to remove the cut from his fastball. And it actually has removed nearly two inches so far in 2021 because that fastball was cutting outside the strike zone. So again, he's keeping the, that fastball in the zone has already got great movement. The zone percentage is a career high so far this season. And then the vertical break on the four seam was the other thing he needed to get back as it's actually 17% higher than average. And it dipped below average last season. Big for that fastball again. And then the the spin rates have been just otherworldly. He's been top five in spin rates and fastball and slider spin rates. So, uh, And they actually weren't affected too much with the changing of the ball. And then you have Ethan Katz, the miracle worker. He's changed Lido. He worked his magic with somebody that I didn't hear anybody talk about, and that's Carlos Rodon, who's looked like the best, one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. And Cease is obviously looking great too. Um, he was somebody I, I was in on. I drafted him. I think the ten teams I mentioned, I have him on eight or nine of them. So uh, he was—he's definitely the one I was most exposed to. And uh, while he hasn't been, uh, you know, a top ten pitcher, my I predicted I thought he would be a top thirty this year, and I think he's just outside the top thirty, and he's creeping in there. So. Uh, I, I've been proud to see what he's been doing, and I think he's putting it together. And he's going to be going a lot earlier next year if he keeps up what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're about to talk about Carlos Rodon. <laughs> we get to the misses. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So why don't we get right to it then, Jenny? Uh, who's uh, this the White Sox pitcher that you wish you had more of? Carlos Rodon. <laughs> the thing that's so that tears me up inside about the Carlos Rodon breakout is that I've been drafting him for several years now. I've been waiting for it and waiting for it. And I talked him up and I believed in him and I drafted him and he stunk. And now he's good and it sinks because I don't have him on any teams. And it's just a repeat of the Giolito breakout. I was drafting Giolito and Giolito, nothing terrible breakout as soon as I don't have him on any teams. So this year I've drafted Reynaldo Lopez all over the place, and that, I picked the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> is he still in AAA? Like he, he's not even been know. on the major league roster this year. I don't know. I I, I like you know in the vein of like the post type, you know, prospect guys. That's I liked all of those guys. All those guys had some good pedigree and weren't coming through, and so I try taking them and taking them, and then I just both guys I've been a year or two too early. So frustrating. <laughs> And it will be interesting to watch with Rodon how that plays out because his velocity right now, I think it's what it's like up to 97. He had never gotten anywhere near that high. And the innings, I think, are a concern too. So it'll be interesting to see kind of as we get to the last, you know, 25% of the season, are they, they're going to obviously be in playoff contention. Are they going to start skipping starts, limiting his innings? Um, so that it might right now, obviously it's bad, but for people that have him that have been riding it, it might be a problem come, you know, when you need him most at the end of the season. So. We'll have to see how that plays out. Doc, what about you? 
So retweet on Rodone. It's like this, the one year I don't get him and now he goes off. Um, I interpreted this as guys that you were high on that haven't panned out. So I got to own, I got to want buddy. I got to, I got to own up and it's Christian Yelich. And now I know he's been injured for part of the season. I thought we would see the 2018, 2019 version of him. Um, he has a career high walk percentage. We'll start out with the positives at 21.2. He slightly decreased his K percentage, but it was astronomically high last year for him. It was at 30.8. Now it's at 28.5. He just looks less aggressive. He's not swinging as much. Um, he hasn't been as aggressive on the base paths. He's only attempted six stolen bases. Granted, he's been successful in five of them, but he's not. He's on pace for about maybe 15 attempts this year as opposed to the 30-plus that we saw. And his launch angle is back down to 3.3 degrees. And that's similar to the Marlins days where he was a 13-14-ish home run hitter. Um, I don't know if it's the back problem. I don't know if it's the fractured kneecap. Maybe just all of these injuries are piling up, but I don't expect Christian Yelich to go back to that top, you know, five roto player that we thought he was a couple of years ago. It'll be very interesting to see where he goes next year, because if there's there might be a really significant discount, which might make it worth betting on. But only if there's a really significant discount, I feel like he didn't. He, he just signed um, to be like Rodone. It's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like Rodone where, where this is the year that you're out on him and he does amazing. And then you hate yourself. Yeah. I mean, the, I remember when they came out with the back injury, they said they weren't sure what it was. And I think that kind of was scary to everybody when they heard that. Cause they're not, they haven't diagnosed anything. Um, and he's, I think Eric, you brought up the walk percentage. Great walk percentages are great, but for someone like Christian Yelich, like you mentioned, you want him to be more aggressive. You don't want him walking. 20 plus percent of the time you want him to, you know, have a great walk percentage, but you need to be swinging more. And, you know, for what he's being paid for the production you're expecting out of him, every time he's walking, he's not, you know, he's not hitting home runs. He's obviously not really stealing bases anymore since the kneecap injury. So it will be interesting to see where he does get ranked next year. The first one I want to bring up and Jenny, you can tell me how much of this guy you have. I have absolutely zero Shohei Otani. Uh, he was the the person I picked for the the cover for this. I was out on him as the pitcher. I said he's gonna, you know, he always gets arm injuries every single year. He's just the injuries have have, pound, have just piled up, and uh, that carries over to his hitting. And I was like, he's just not going to be available. And he was especially getting pushed up towards the end of draft season. And I said, look, this is a guy I'll just be out on. I just the injury concerns and scaring stuff w- was real for me. Um, and he's been, him and Vlad have been the two best hitters in baseball. Uh, I, I'm very upset. I have none of him. I understood why I faded him. Did you get any Shohei Otani? I don't think so. Yeah. I, it wasn't because I don't like him. So he's another one where I was, you know, off by a year or two years, I guess. So in 20, October of 2019 at first pitch, Arizona, they have, have either of you been out there? It's so much fun. You have to no, we're going, I think next time we yeah. can go. So they have drafts there. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and drafting with, you know, Derek Van Riper and Shelly Verstreet and Justin Mason's in the league. You know, it's just so much. That's just so cool. And um, and so right before the draft starts, I tap Justin. I'm like, do you know how they're going to handle Otani this year? Because in 2018, I think when he first came in, he was just a pitcher or just a hitter. I can't remember. But you can only have him one. So we asked. And they said, you can choose every week, you know, whether he's a hitter or a pitcher. And I thought, oh, this is going to be key. 
So I drafted, there was no, I mean, this is October. So like, there's no ADP, there's no anything. So I drafted him in the fifth round and immediately regretted it. Just immediately. <laughs> and because I, I was just so excited when I heard that I could use him in both spots that I just jumped in. And at the time I thought, you know what? I think he's going to, I think he can hit on days that he pitches. I don't think he's going to, they're going to sit him as much as they thought, you know, as people are saying that they will. And I was totally wrong. Like I, the, what he's doing this year is what I thought he was going to do last year. And he didn't, and he was hurt and the injuries while he was pitching, you know, kept him out from hitting for a while before he came back. And I just thought, I, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can deal with it. So I was pretty much out this year, which, you know, if you want to get to my next, you know, who the guys who I missed on, it was all the UT only guys. I, I don't have a single one of them and I wish that I did. It's something that I generally don't do. I know a lot of people say, um, you know, that it's just don't worry about it. You know, you, it's not a big deal to fill your utility spot. And for me, I think that it is a disadvantage. You know, it depends on who the guy is. If it's Nelson Cruz, you know, fine, because he's great. But, you know, I never would have taken like a Framo Reyes or somebody like that because I'm not going to clog up my outfield spot or my utility spot with a guy who I thought was going to be, you know, fairly mediocre as far as total overall value goes. So I didn't get any of them. I also think I need to do a better job of setting up my draft sheet because I do my own draft sheet. I, I don't use software. I, I have a spreadsheet that I build up over the course of the offseason. And I keep DHs on a separate tab. And I think maybe I need to not do that because I very rarely in the draft ever click on that tab <laughs> to see like who's been taken and who, you know, I, I'll cross guys off there, but I just, when I'm looking around at like, oh wait, who's coming up, you know, with my pick, I just never, I never look at it. And I, I hear a guy, you know, I hear Nelson Cruz's name get called. I'm like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> so I think that I, I need to be more open to it. Because I don't have any JD Martinez, I don't have any Nelson Cruz, I don't have any Shohei Otani, and it, this was it, if any there's any year to do it, this was the year to do it. And even more of them are getting outfield eligibility, which I didn't think they would do. I did not think JD Martinez was going to get outfield eligibility. Mm -hmm. I thought they would sit him when they go in a National League park, and they haven't because he's been so good. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nelson Cruz, yes, but you know he's just he's so old; he's not going to put him in the outfield, but. You know, I, I I think I was a big miss for me not to get any of those utility guys. But it's understandable why people sometimes, like you said, avoid them because, again, you have especially injuries pop up or whatever. You need that spot to be able to plug guys in. That's a, a spot you can put any hitter in. And if you have someone like a J.D. Martinez and Nelson Cruz, you're not taking them out of that spot. So that limits your roster flexibility, which is a big thing in fantasy baseball. So I completely get it. I think the, I have Nelson Cruz, like one or two places. I was big on JD Martinez, but, um, again, it's, it's one of those things you definitely weigh in that, that utility factor. So I can completely understand that. Uh, doc, let's go back to you. Who's somebody, I guess you do however you want to answer this question. You go ahead. So after April, I was getting ready to take a victory lap because I was the biggest Kyle Tucker hater and he looked awful the first month and I was loving it. But he started to turn it around, and I have to eat my words. He's typically had a low walk percentage and a high K rate, but that's gone down from 27.8 to 20.2 to this year's 16.2. He had nine home runs in 58 games last year. He has 13 and 64 games this year. He's increased his launch angle and his hard hit percentage. 
And honestly, I thought the Astros lineup was going to be worse than it is. I thought the subtraction of George Springer was really going to hurt them, but they've also stayed healthy. Altuve hasn't had any IL stints. Carlos Correa hasn't had any IL stints. Yuli Gurriel looks really good. I I got to eat my words that at least from May to middle of June, Kyle Tucker looks good. He was one of the guys that if you looked at the expected stats, you could kind of tell this was coming. And I think I, we were talking about that. He His like expected batting average was the difference in between his actual and expected batting averages was like top two or three in the league. Uh, Jenny, were you a big Kyle Tucker uh, drafter? No, but <laughs> I drafted him in the main event. So one of the, you know, like I said, I don't really have like a lot of my guys. I have, you know, s- profiles that I like. And in general, obviously, it's great if you can get, you know, a home run slash stolen base guy in the first few rounds. And I I was very scared of him. But I, I did it anyway. I like to diversify and I like to, you know, at some point you just sort of think there's enough smart people that think he's going to be good that it probably, it's not a bad idea to just take a chance. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, especially in something like the main event, you kind of got to go for it, you know, compared to, you know, maybe a draft champions or a best ball where you're trying to grind out a profit and with a lot of playing time, you know, you can, you can take more chances in the main event and I think it can pay off. And so, I just, you know, I went for it and it's the only league that I have them. And I'm glad at this point that I have them. So yeah, I have them in one place, but I was not, not a big believer. Yeah. You and Eric on that same train together there. Um, (laughs) Seems like it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'll bring up someone real quick because I don't feel like too much analysis needs to be on him. I missed on uh, Bobby Dalbeck. He was my rookie of the year pick in the American League. 40 home runs, baby. Yeah, I thought he was going to hit 40 bombs, and that would give him the rookie of the year. He's got eight sub-200 batting average. I knew he would strike out a lot, um, and he's got an elite barrel rate, and he does hit the ball extremely hard. But that Z contact being 68%, the O contact being 42%, both way below league average. He just can't make contact. And I did, thought that would be a problem, but not this much of a problem to where he's hitting eighth in the lineup and – uh, not getting every day at bats and it just looks awful. I don't have him everywhere. I have him in only like a couple places, but the AL MVP pick isn't looking too great. That's he sounds like somebody that could do it. Austin Riley though. I could, I, I feel like he could next year or the year after might be a good time to think about him. Jenny, I was literally about to say that it is crazy <laughs> that we're, we're on the save. You guys are way. connected the, the last few minutes with what you're thinking. Uh, I, I mean, I said I aspire to be her, and it sounds like I'm on that path. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the last person in this category we'll talk about. Jenny, who's the person or the strategy when you were drafting for this category? Yeah, so I missed on a lot of second closers, second and third closers. I know that that's probably true for a lot of people. Um, I'm somebody who likes to take a closer early. Um, so I have like one of the, you know, hits that I thought of that I didn't say was, you know, I have a lot of Chapman and, uh, Presley, but the second and third guys that I took have woof, been brutal. 
So I had I had a lot of Amir Garrett. I drafted a lot of Amir Garrett. And I drafted, I can't tell you, I looked, so getting ready for this, I looked at my NFBC player shares page. Maybe second and fifth on that list were Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomerantz. I drafted both of them <laughs> so much. And I drafted on DCs and best balls and stuff. I drafted both of them on a lot of teams, thinking that I would have the San Diego saves, whichever way it went. Didn't even consider Melanson. Didn't even consider him. Just passed right over him. I also had a lot drafted a lot of Nick Whitgren. Didn't really consider Class A that much. I I knew you know I sort of thought it was a Krenshack versus Whitgren kind of thing. And so you know take the less expensive guy, the less hyped guy, and didn't even look at Class A. I mean I, I'd heard his name a lot obviously, but I I was just sort of like nope Whitgren. That's just just. Did you hear his name because he's a cheat? Did you hear his name because he's a cheater that uses PEDs? We don't forget on this pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of interesting that you bring that up because I listen to a lot of pods as well. I don't feel like Melanson was talked about, at least any that I can remember. I don't think you heard uh, Whitgren's name brought up everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't hear, remember hearing Class A as one of the guys like you mentioned. It was the, the other two. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of these closers that kind of came. I don't know. Uh, Alex Fast is the man. He's a fellow Baltimorean like myself. He's wait 20 million times as smarter as I am, but he was, he was pumping up Tanner Scott too for the Orioles bullpen and he never got the job there. So it's it's very hard to predict these, these closer roles every single year. Even if you listen to people that are extremely smart and and know their teams. And like you mentioned with Scott, like, you know, the inside thing with Chris Bassett, he's looked great this year. It's just, we never know. It's, it's so hard to tell. Yeah, and I like to diversify, and I did not do nearly enough diversification in terms of closers. I took the same guys a lot, thinking that, you know, I I thought it through, and I kind of figured out what I thought was going to happen, when, you know, the real answer is none of us know. We don't mm-hmm. know. They, they they lie to us. They, you know, they don't do what they say they're going to do. We, we all think, one of my pet peeves in the fantasy industry is people who say, who they think should be the closer because this guy's the most skilled. Therefore he will be the closer. Eventually. I know the team is telling you it's going to be this guy, but no, really it's going to be this other guy because he's got more skills when it's in my opinion, teams don't choose their closer based on the most skilled guy. They, they like to have that guy for flexible. Mm -hmm. A lot of teams do. So, you know, just saying who you think should be the closer it doesn't work for me. I, I need, to, I want to know who the team wants to be the closer. And that's easy to try to do, not as easy to, in practice, but I definitely think I should have done a lot more diversification instead of just trying to pick a, one guy out of each bullpen and just draft him over and over again. Yeah, that's very true. And I think as bullpens get cloudier and cloudier every single year where there's what, you know, six guys that we knew for sure had the role and the other, you know, every other bullpen out there we don't so it's going to be more important that we probably do do that um doc give us your last person that you want to talk about tonight all right this is going to be brief because you joke around that i hate being wrong uh it was anthony rendon put money on him to win the al mvp uh his walk percentage has gone down which is something that he excelled at he was a great contact hitter and he's not making nearly the contact he was with the nationals he's been very streaky this year he has nine multi-hit games and 16 games with no hits. So, you know, kind of on both ends, he's had a couple IL stints. And Mike Trout, he's been out. He doesn't really have any protection besides Otani. So Rendon was a big miss for me this year. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of frustrating to watch him play. Jen, do you have a lot of Rendon? I don't, but it's just pure coincidence. You know, there's that little stretch right in that second round, maybe third round there, where, you know, Arenado and Rendon and Devers, I guess, probably. We're all going right there next to each other. And I got a little bit of the other two, and I don't think I got Rendon on any teams, but it was not because I didn't want him. I mean, he if, if you could have told me that you would have predicted that Anthony Rendon was going to struggle this year, I think you're probably lying. Because <laughs> he's just the safest, he's just the safest pick ever. So, you know, maybe he's not as flashy. And I generally like to get guys in the first few rounds to get some steals. But, you know, nobody could have, I, I just don't see how you could have seen this coming. Oh, yeah. And somebody that I, I want to talk about, maybe, I mean, I guess people did see this was coming with him. Jen, I got to ask you about Corbin Burns, who I'm sometimes the type of person that I, okay, I see all you broke out in a limited sample last year. I need to see you do it again before I pay the the cost. He was going, you know, around the third, fourth round. And it hit me hard, especially because in my TGFBI, I, in the third round, I went pocket aces. I went Bauer and, and Giolito. And then my draft particularly went heavy, heavy, heavy hitting. So I, all the hitters I thought would fall to me in the third round didn't. So I had to reach for Randy or Rosarena as so I could get some steals in the third, which looked out okay. But then in the fourth, Maeda and Corbin Burns were still on the board when it came back to me. And I thought both were two great values to get there. I went with the safer Maeda because I wasn't sure what Burns could do. And that's definitely impacted my team some. Did you believe in Corbin Burns? Did you think what you saw last year was enough for you to to pay the the third or fourth round value for him? I don't have any Corbin Burns. I I did not think to put him on this list. That would have been a good one to put on the list because I don't have him anywhere. And it wasn't because I was strongly against him. I just sort of didn't know. And sometimes when I when I don't have an opinion about mm-hmm. a guy and you have to take you I mean to take Corbin Burns where you had to draft him, you needed to have an opinion about him. So I didn't have an opinion. And so I just sort of glossed over him when I was looking at my sheet. You know, I just sort of would stare at the guys that, you know, I did have an opinion on and just didn't really draft him anywhere. And I listened. I tweeted the other day something about, you know, I need to stop listening to the to the strategy of, oh, how many innings is he going to get? Mm-hmm. Because if he, if the guy is skilled and the team is good, you know, you should you should buy in. And I mean, even if let's say Corbin Burns does get, you know, slowed down a little bit later in the year, I think you're probably still going to have gotten quite a profit off of him. So it's, it was a silly reason not to do it. I should have probably looked into him more, but I had no opinion at all. So I didn't get him anywhere. I don't think Doc got any, really any Corbin Burns either. So this is, we're all missing out on the greatness of Corbin Burns. Yeah. I, I, I needed, I needed to see it for another season, but I'll admit I didn't get him at all. Yeah, it's, it's interesting also because he changed his pitch mix up each of the last few years as far as like his cutter and curveball being more prominent last uh, than last year. So m- maybe that's what he's doing. He's going to keep the hitters guessing with all the pitches that he does throw. But that was a great discussion. I feel like we were able to air out our, our problems, who we were missing on, be able to take a couple victory laps, who's doing well so far, who we have some exposure to. Go ahead. The thing that I am most proud of myself this year that I have not done, and it's not a draft thing, I have not spent my fab. And I'm very happy about that. You know, I, I as I saw these guys going for crazy prices, I had the FOMO. You know, I wanted, I was thinking, oh, man, I wonder if I should have been more. This might have been stupid. But I don't have any of them. And 
mostly they haven't worked out. So I'm, I'm sitting in a pretty good spot in fab in most of my leagues. And I think that I need to remember this next year when, and not put in those giant bids. The Jordan Romano and Alex Manoa bids. Merriweather. I was going to say, say Julian Merriweather. <laughs> I, I, I completely just butchered his name. Yeah. Julian Merriweather and, uh, and Alex Manoa. Yeah. I mean, you have that money and then you can outspend everybody else later on in the season for, you know, 30 bucks for a guy that people can't pay more than, you know, 15 or, or so. The only one I truly regret is Dusty Wagner dropped uh, Edwin Diaz in the main event like two weeks ago. Oh, man. I, I thought it must have been an accident, but I overheard somebody else saying, you know, on a pod, I think that he was going he's going heavy starters and he did it on purpose to try and flush some money out of the pool. And I bid $353 on him, which I don't think I bid more than like 100 on anybody this season. And I didn't get him. He went for like 490 Wow. And uh, but- by the, la- the last place team bid four, it was four something, I can't remember, and currently has like $12 left. Bubba dropped Raziel Iglesias, and I thought it was a mistake. And uh, he went for like three ninety eight in in my league. So he probably did something similar where he was trying to to pick up more starters. It sounds Raziel like. Iglesias went like two weeks without a save opportunity, though. So I can see the frustration. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's he's also in non safe situations. He always kills your <laughs> your numbers. He just for some reason always blows up in those circumstances. But. Let's get to the fun part of the show. And that's starting out with the question of the week. Jenny, were you uh, are you a big Price is Right fan? Love it. Definitely. Love it. <laughs> I feel like the music sets the tone. So yeah. we are uh, official affiliate to Monkey Knife Fight to sponsor the show, the fastest growing betting site in the United States. Use promo code TRIPLEPLAY and get up to $50 of your deposit matched when you become a new user and you use our code. And if you're looking to win some cash, make sure you follow the Triple Play Monkey Knife Fight shows, usually every weekend or every other, depending when Eric and Brad stop being lazy and do them. Uh, those are 10 to 15 minute shows. They give you a look at the gaming landscape and give you their locks so you can win some money. All right. Our question this week, who do you think is the best cook or chef in Major League Baseball? So Jenny, who is that player for you? This is really hard. So I, I couldn't think of a good way to approach this, you know, like, how do you know who's a good cook or not? And I thought, is there like a funny way to approach this? And I couldn't really come up with any like good puns or like, you know, so I went to the best source I could think of. And I asked Shelly Restrate, who <laughs> is the best cook in the fantasy industry, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know if you've seen what she bakes, but it's insane. Yeah. And she cooks, cooks really well, too. So I asked her what she thought, and she gave me Phil Hughes. And I followed Phil Hughes on Twitter after she said that, and he does a lot of really cool stuff. Like he says he's an aspiring chef and all that. He's, you know, obviously a former player. But I I had a really hard time with this one because I feel like, you know, if I were a major league player and, you know, I wanted to eat good, I would just hire a chef, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, like, who's who's bothering to, like, do a lot of cooking in their free time? But I love seeing any, any, especially fantasy people that put up, you know, the food tweets. I am all about it. Eno's sandwich. Eno put up a sandwich earlier tonight. I don't know if you saw it, but I was insanely jealous of it. It was like meatloaf and a fried like potato croquettes and some pickled red onions. Pickled red onions are key on a sandwich. 
and oh god, some kind of like sweet and sour sauce. I, I don't know. It was amazing. His sandwiches are amazing. Oh my god, that's yeah. food porn. I know. And Matt Modica has a bunch of good food porn. You know, I love <laughs> I love any any good. Food that does porn. look good. I know, right? He only gave it an eight out of ten, which is crazy. Yeah, I that seems wrong. I just from looking at it, I don't know how, but yeah, I I don't I can't come up with it. Oh, oh, Shelly did give me another one. She said that back in the day, Giolito and Carter Keboom used to bake together. Really? That's cute. <laughs> That's cute. I know, isn't it? But <laughs> that made me laugh. But yeah, I couldn't find I couldn't find anybody good for this one. I'm sorry. No, that's those are two great. That's two great things of information. I didn't know Phil Hughes did that, and and the fact they had a uh, they cooked together, Giolito and uh, and uh, Carter. Carter Keeper, that's awesome. Uh, Doc, I, where, I'm interested where you went for this one. So the the funny answer you could say was Scott Baker because of his last name. See, that's what for I'm me. To think of for me, I went I went Bryce Harper, and if you followed Bryce Harper like his first couple of years, all he would do was post food he'd get in famous cities. And that's the big thing between him and his wife, Kay Varner, was they would go and try all these restaurants. Who's stalking now? Uh, I mean, this was years ago. Every, everybody stalked Bryce Harper. And uh, I, I was like, you know, if you get this much food, I feel like you got to become a chef one time. And you're like, hey, babe, let's let's make this at home. Let's see. So I could see Bryce Harper and his wife cooking during the off season. That's fair. I could see that. I've seen him do like you know MLB cooks you know just tried to see like if anybody was like famous for it and like the there was this crazy cookbook that was put out several years ago that had like Nolan Ryan's wife's recipe and like somebody else's like sis mom's whatever and I'm like none of these are their own recipes this is the most ridiculous cookbook <laughs> I've ever seen that's hilarious what was the name of the book do you remember I don't remember no you can uh, now I have to look this up I know <laughs> so Mine, the only reason I'm, I'm putting this one is because I had no idea. Eric came up with this question and I had no idea where I would even look for it. So I kind of cheated and uh, we interviewed Aaron Savali in the off season. And he, uh, for like a couple of weeks after we were DMing uh, just food stuff uh, on Instagram and uh, he orders a lot of Hello Fresh, but he was also like, we were talking about like cooking stuff. So we were sending each other stuff we were cooking too. And, uh, I'm not gonna say he's the best chef, but he definitely like puts some effort into to make food. So I'm I'm just gonna piggyback and, and bookmark that, and then just say I did see him try to attempt to make food. I, I would say it's like like not like chef elegant kind of cooking, but it gets the job done and it looks decent. So can confirm two days after we interviewed him, David texts me, "Hey Eric, I'm still texting with Aaron Savali. This is so cool." Yeah, yeah it would go. be so cool. I. So- Side note, I had to do this like very formal work luncheon sort of thing. I work in like the defense industry and Mm -hmm. we had, we got, we did some kind of important work and we got this like luncheon with some very, you know, with some high people. And, you know, they had us sitting there around a table with like vice presidents of the company and all this. And it was a group of people that I worked with and they had us go around the table and say what our hobbies were. And I, I work with a lot of smart people who are like, you know, I play the violin and the guy next to me like plays the Japanese flute and speaks, you know, learns learning Japanese and all this. They come to me and I'm like, I like cooking and playing fantasy baseball. And it was just like, I felt, it felt so awkward because, you know, 
amongst us, you know, we know what fantasy baseball is and what it takes and what it, you know, but you just say it to a random person, especially if they're not even a baseball fan. And it just sounds so lame <laughs> that I was just like, oh, that sounded so bad compared to everybody else. <laughs> Do you ever come across where you try to talk baseball with somebody and then if you get into the analytics and you completely lose them and they're not interested in talking to you about baseball anymore? That I, And that has a different feel to it when you are a female talking to a guy. Because they immediately think that you don't know what you're talking about. And it's this, I've had to get over sort of this weird need to prove myself, you know, and I don't, I, I don't do it anymore. But like, I have a hard time with those kind of conversations sometimes. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, you and Shelly and uh, Ellen Adair, like, I mean, you guys have shown it doesn't matter. It, it does, like a, a great baseball mind's a great baseball mind, regardless of who you are. And you guys show that you, you have the, the data to back it up. You guys show how well you do in the, in the standings. I know top of my head, I know, I think Shelly's like in the top 25 in TGFBI looked like right. earlier today. Like you guys do awesome job. And I, I can't imagine what you guys do go through with that because I think I'll, unfortunately a lot of guys are like that where they don't think that you guys know fancy baseball. The reality is you guys are better than most of the guys out there. If not and somehow, all like of them. me talking, being, being knowledgeable, about it, somehow threatening to the, to their not like, I don't, if I know it doesn't mean that I think you don't know it. You don't have to like, you know, it, it's somehow like emasculating. I don't get it, but you know, you just have to be careful sometimes who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. It's the competitive nature of guys. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's partly why I've loved getting involved in the baseball community. Cause I feel like this, the fantasy community is, especially the fantasy baseball community is, is really welcoming. And so it's, it's been great. When I went to first pitch in 2019, I'm sitting there, you know, next to Alex Fast. We're watching the Sleeper and the Bus record their podcast one evening. And I'm sitting next to him. I'm just like, hey, are you Alex Fast? And I'm like, I'm Jenny Butler. He's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Because I was in the, you know, the Pitcher List Discord rooms and stuff. And he was like, so nice to me and talk, you know, just talked to me for several minutes. And I was just like, oh, this is so great. Everybody's so welcoming here. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, you know, we were very involved in the fantasy football and, and basketball community, but I think the fantasy baseball community is the most welcoming of the three. They they are the best. I don't see any, you know, we do see every once in a while in the, in the football, there's the, just the guys that are just complete, just pieces of work that, that say things, but I don't see that too much in the fantasy baseball community yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's great. And, uh, and you guys, again, you guys all are, are awesome at it and you guys talk well about it and, um, it's, it's awesome to actually, you know, I know we're not, we're not closing the show quite yet, but it's been awesome getting a chance to talk with you for the first time and be able to pick your brain on things. Cause I know we've talked over Twitter every once in a while, but it's a whole different thing being able to talk about it, uh, being able face to face this way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is great. Um, but let's get to the last segment of the night and that's going to be our game of the week. All right, Doc, you have the game. I have no idea what it is. I just, I know <laughs> that it's not what we played last week. So what are we doing? I am terrified. No, it's not. So uh, the theme of this week, we're talking about hits and misses. And obviously as fantasy players, we have them, but teams do as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a player from a draft that was a bust. And then I'm going to give you four players that have at least one all-star appearance or are notable players that was drafted after them. You have to give me the order in which they were drafted. Oh, oh the, okay. you might, you're definitely might beat me in this one. Oh, I'd, so, unlikely. Okay. So the, the first one, and we're going to start with David. 
In 2010, Michael Choice was drafted by the Oakland Athletics, number 10 overall. These four players were taken after him. And you have to give me the order. We have JT Real Muto, Corey Dickerson, Nick Castellanos, and Christian Yelich. I'm going to go Corey Dickerson first, Christian Yelich second. Who was the other one besides JT Real Muto? Nick Castellanos. Uh, I'll go Nick Castellanos, JT Real Muto. Okay. And Jenny? Yeah, I'm going to go... This is going to expose my lack of knowledge about prospects, but uh, yeah, I think Dickerson's first. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Castellanos second, Real Muto third, Yelich fourth. All right, well, Jenny's got two, David's got zero. The order is Yelich, Yelich one, Castellanos two, Real Muto three, Corey Dickerson four. I knew oh, that, God, Corey we Dickerson. Both, we both put Dickerson first. <laughs> I, I, I knew that. Trying to trick us. I knew David would think that I was trying to trick him, which is why I, I did that. I, I know David too well. Oh, man. All right, so the next one, the 2012 draft, the Royals took Kyle Zimmer, number five overall. After him was these four pitchers drafted, and Jenny, we're starting with you. Okay. Lance McCullers, Lucas Giolito, Walker Bueller, and Max Freed. I love, just so I know, I love the fact that Giolito and Freed and Flaherty all went to school together. It's just so great. I know. They worked um, out in the dungeon. I'm going to go Giolito one, Bueller two, McCullers three, Freed four. Okay. And David? I'm going to go McCullers 1, Giolito 2, Bueller 3, and I forgot who I'm leaving out, but they're 4. Max Freed. Max Freed 4. Okay, so you each got one point. The correct order is Max Freed 1, Lucas Giolito 2, Lance McCullers 3, and Walker Bueller 4. So halfway through the game, Jenny's beating David 3-1. to Hopefully it's not the Warriors in 2016 that lose it. <laughs> and she can hold on to this dub. David, we're, we're starting with you. I'm a Cavs fan, so this is... The... Oh, that, yeah, that's right. Oh, this, this is going to be there excellent. We go. Yeah. There we go. All right. In 2014, the Mariners took Austin Jackson number six. These four players were drafted after him. We have Matt Chapman, Cole Tucker, a.k.a. Disney star, Paul DeYoung, and Alex Verdugo. Cole Tucker, Alex Verduda, Verdugo. Matt um, Chapman and Paul DeYoung. Matt Chapman and Paul DeYoung in that order. So wait, what was your order? Oh, Can you maybe have to think it? of it. <laughs> Cole Tucker, um, Matt Chapman and, and DeYoung were three and four. Verdugo is the other one. Verdugo, yeah, thank you. Verdugo so, is, Ver, so Verdugo is one. Wait, hold on. No, I, Cole Tucker one, Verdugo two. Matt Chapman, three. Paul DeYoung, four. Okay. And Jenny? I'm going to go Verdugo, one. DeYoung, two. Chapman, three. Cole Tucker, four. Well, David got two, and it's a tie game. The correct order is Cole Tucker, one. Matt Chapman, two. Alex Verdugo, three. And Paul DeYoung, one, four. I assumed it was a trick question before, and then when it wasn't, I thought... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's always hard because we, we, we try to like pick his brain rather yeah, than like the question. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wily one. So this is the last one. I have a tiebreaker if necessary. In 2016, Mickey Moniak went number one to the Phillies. These four pitchers were taken after him. We have David's best friend, Aaron Savale, Shane Bieber, Dustin May, and Zach Gallen. Who's first, me? Yeah, Jenny's first. I'm going to go May, Savali, Gallon, Bieber. Okay. And David? I'm going to go Gallon, May, Savali, Bieber. Wow, you guys each got two. The order, (laughs) Savale one, Dustin May two, Zach Gallon three, and Bieber four. So the tiebreaker. In the 2011 draft, Sonny Gray was drafted in the first round by the Oakland Athletics. Whoever gets closest to his draft position is going to win. And David, you're first. All right, so he's in the first round, so... I'll pick a number randomly. Mm-hmm. I'll say he was 17. Okay. Jenny. I'm going to go Price is Right style and go 18. <laughs> you want to know what's crazy? Yeah. It's 18. Yes. Oh, my God. That's wild. <laughs> and when, oh, David said, when, David, when David said 17, I was like, wow, did David really win this? Like, there's oh, no way she's going to get it. Nobody can get closer than that. But, oh, but oh Jenny, that hurts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's awesome. a hard one to take to the I place. love it. I yeah! took that one to the pin. Yeah! Yeah! Uh, yes. Well, excited. I will definitely, I will give you the crowd applause, even though I'm very salty right now. That was uh, a great game. That comes down to the wire. So that was, that's how we like to do it here. So, uh, but I want to thank you so much for coming on the show hey, wait, tonight. Wait, wait, I have bl- one thing that I have to bring up oh, before you go. I saw a tweet from you that said that you have not seen a movie more than five times. Yeah. It blows my mind. Uh, like I watch the same like 10 movies all the time. Like I've seen very few movies, but I've seen all of them like hundreds of times. So I like I'm blown away how somebody <laughs> could not have seen a movie more than five times. I don't even know how that I'm flabbergasted. I think the most I've ever seen, I saw Crazy Stupid Love as my mom visited this past week and we watched that together. That's like the fourth time I've seen it, but I don't like, I'll watch something like once or twice, but after the second time, I'm good. Like if I like it, I'll see it a second time. I'm just somebody who like, you know, I'll see Shawshank on or something like that and I'll just watch it from the middle. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm all about watching the same movies over and over and over again. That's so funny. But even but then you like know what's going to happen. And then I feel like it's not like I feel like part of the enjoyment is like either not knowing what's going to happen or you're like, all right, I, I know this part's going to happen. I'll watch it again the second or third time. But I guess I mean, I'm, I'm definitely weird in that regard. I'm just so far on the opposite extreme that I just <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, can I, can I be interpreting this correctly? Possibly be right. <laughs> I have to ask about this. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I think the first one I do, I'll, I'll definitely make sure I put it out there because there's, I think, on the top of my head, I've seen like the old, the longest yard, crazy, stupid love, limitless with Bradley Cooper. I think those are the first three I've come. To, I've seen like three or four times. That's such a weird list. I don't think I've seen any of those movies. That's funny. Oh, this is really to a movie I, minute. I, yeah. I, told you, I haven't seen a lot, but I see them over and over and over again. So, like Fugitive and Shawshank are way up there on the movies that I've seen a million times. 
But when I was a kid, we didn't have cable. And my parents, I'm going to date myself real bad here. <laughs> we had a beta a tape player, you know, Betamax. Yeah. And we had, I think, five or six movies. And that's all that I watched. I watched uh, Three Amigos, Spies Like Us, uh, Ghostbusters. I forget what else we had. There's like four, another two of them. And I watched like those five movies. I've probably seen, I could recite them to you without even turning them on. Like Ghostbusters, I've probably seen no less than 2,000 times. <laughs> you know what that means is one of these times we're going to have to get you on our, our movie minutes. It's like one of the YouTube shows we do where we just do like a 10 minutes or less breakdown of movies. It has to be something that I've seen though because I told you there's not a long list. So <laughs> it just has to be – if I've seen it, then I'm all over it. But, you know, it's a, it's a short list. We'll do a, a Ghostbusters movie minute and I'm that'll in. be perfect. I'm in. <laughs> but – until then, I just want to thank you again for coming on because this was an absolute blast to be able to get to talk to you finally. And uh, and you fit right in with what like, we like doing here. So um, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I know you, again, you and Rob do the tag team stuff. And I'd seen, I'd heard you on his pod before and, uh, uh, you know, back before the season started. So I, this was long overdue. I know we wanted to get you back on. And, uh, yeah. you know, back, but are you feeling better at everything from, yeah, yeah, yeah. so like background story, these guys, Dave asked me to be on and I had, I found out that I was COVID positive, like the day before you asked me. And I was just like, I can't deal with that right now. I didn't really, I wasn't really that symptomatic. I caught it. Um, I worked, I work in a, at the time, you know, I work in a, I'm a chemist so, and I work in, um, a, lab, a company that does a lot of stuff. And um, so they, in mid, in December or so, we were just all hands on deck with anything COVID. So I was helping out in the COVID lab, mm -hmm. doing COVID testing, and I got it. So I mm -hmm. was, you know, trying to deal with all that. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do it right now. Sorry. But no, I was fine. I, I was very, very little symptoms. The worst thing was that I lost my sense of taste, which as we discussed, you know, for me was particularly tragic. But, you know, <laughs> it's back now. So I'm good. I, I love that you're you're better and the taste is back. And this is definitely we have to bring you back sometime. Uh, maybe like at the end of the season or, or in the off season, you can help uh, guess whip us into shape for next season too, because uh, we're definitely going to need it after this this grind of the season for sure. Uh, but right. everybody, um, can you make sure you follow her, Jenny? Where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Jenny Butler eight three zero. And do you uh, anything that you're working on, articles or anywhere they can find work that you're doing? I actually don't do any writing yet. I'm hoping mm -hmm. to. Um, I'm only, the only reason I'm in TGFBI this year is the kindness of Rob DiPietro. He uh, he won an entry in Justin's, I think it was Potapalooza, one of those fundraisers that he does. And of course, Rob has his own entry. So he asked Justin if he was allowed to give it away. And so he gave it to me. And um, for anybody, by the way, who might be interested, I've played for a couple years now, When as long as TGFBI has been around, I've played in the satellite leagues. And I, I really recommend the satellite leagues for anybody who's interested in potentially getting in if you're not, you know, if you're not in the industry, because all that he asks is that you make a donation, there's no specified amount, and you're in. And I think it's so much fun. And if you want to get, you know, used to the NFBC platform and the 15 team leagues and stuff, it's really a great way to do it. So I highly recommend the satellite leagues. But I might do a little bit of writing, especially I think I might, it might be easier in the off season to get into something, but I got to figure out, you know, what what to do well, like where my place is i guess so i, I want to try it I and mean, i'm not doing anything yet though you're gonna be great at when you do do it and uh i'm, I'm looking forward to when i see that 
<laughs> but everybody that's out there, we appreciate you guys tuning in, whether you listen, you watch, however you consume Triple Play Fantasy, we appreciate you. Next week, we're going to be joined by our good friends of the show, Carlos Mercano and Mike Carter. It's always fun when we got them on the show, so it's going to be fun. Till then, everybody stay safe. Enjoy another week of baseball, and we're going to make like a bread truck, and we're going to haul these buns. Catch you guys next week. <laughs>